Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you to whoever you are listening to this. Before we start, just to remind you that we do this podcast two, three times a week. But we don't always know which days it's going to be on, so there's only one way to know, and that is to subscribe and get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough about that. Let's talk some rugby. Just before we start today's podcast, we've got some exciting and important news to tell you about our podcast. As of now, our podcasts will be hosted on the Global Player app. Now, don't worry, if you listen to us on other platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, that's fine. But we recommend you download the Global Player app to listen to our podcast before it's released on any other player. The Global Player is available to download on iOS and Google stores. Hello, I'm Ben James, and it's another special pod. We've got a special guest today in what's going to be a new series on the podcast. We haven't quite decided on a name, but we might figure that out in the next uh, 20, 30 minutes or so. Uh, we're joined by YouTube sensation, Squidge. How are you doing, Squidge? Uh, hi, right, yeah. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Uh, how are you finding lockdown? Yeah, it's been actually largely the same as it was during the Six Nations for me, because I basically spent all my time sat inside at the laptop hacking away. And I've now gone to, I've gone from occasionally being able to go outside to just that not being the case. So it's, it's, it's kind of largely the same. I'm just continuing as I was in many ways, but without rugby. I think that's the, that's the worst bit, isn't it? It's, it's when you, yeah. you sit there and go, this hasn't actually affected my life that much. And you're like, what does that <laughs> say about my life before this all happened? Oh, absolutely. That's the worst thing. That's the realizing that, and it's almost feeling like you can't change that now. Like I've got to wait a set period, however long that might be, to change that. Um, and with the rugby being gone, I've lost all markers as well. Like at least I knew at the time there were games on Saturday and Sunday, and I knew I played touch rugby every Friday, and I kind of knew what was happening there. And that's been the one big change. It's like, oh, actually, I don't. Right, they're gone. So now, what? I genuinely don't know what day it is. Uh, I'm I'm still sort of lost as to what day it is. Um, I think it's Monday we're recording this. Uh, so it is, it's Monday. Brilliant. There we go. That's that's why you're on this podcast. Is is largely <laughs> for for calendar based reasons, but also to provide yeah. some insight. Uh, it is Monday the thirteenth. There we go. That is insight. Easter Monday. Um. So talking of lockdown, that's the the sort of the basis of this podcast. It's getting people like yourself on to provide us with i mean the pitch is basically it's desert island discs but for rugby content during lockdown <laughs> which isn't a great title but it's the best you know, we've got so far snappier. yeah <laughs> yeah you know it, it, it works it gets the job across doesn't it it gets the, the message across i'm just worried about them pesky bbc copyright lawyers I, i'm i'm not the person to speak to for copyright advice that's that's i've got a history with it I can tell you all about one side of it, but maybe not the person to listen to. I think we probably both had copyright strikes from the Six Nations. Have you had, have you had the Six Nations or have you had... Oh, everything. I think every Super Rugby, Six Nations, World Cup, everyone's sort of taken stuff down, had a look, which is, you know, entirely fair enough. I don't mean to complain. Um, and in both cases, the Six Nations and the World Cup, they've sorted it out and they've spoken to me and we've got some sort of agreement at some point. Um, Super Rugby are very quiet always, but Otherwise, everyone's been great. Yeah, I, I had one copyright strike in the Six Nations mm. and no conversation because mainly I, I just screen recorded a Boothia's kick in France game this year. Uh, yeah. Stuck it on Twitter. And it, Which, went, I mean, it went a bit bigger than I thought it would. A bit like the kick from Boothia. Yeah, so it was, it was about, <laughs> about 800,000 views on Twitter and 8,000 likes. Wow. So then when yeah. Six Nations came to put their own clip of the kick out, Right. It didn't do so well. No, no, I can imagine. I can imagine. That's kind of their thing, isn't it? That that was the thing they said with me was you're preventing people watching the um the official highlights package and then eventually came around to oh actually what you're doing is very different. Um so yeah, but that's the that's the, the grey area, I suppose. So now we got copyright out the way, let's get on with the <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's it's an isolation care package. That could be the name. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I, I was like going to say survival kit, but then that's quite morbid, and it's <laughs> probably not the time to be morbid. <laughs> let's let's just talk about toilet roll. Yes, indeed. So you, you've picked, you've gone away, and you've picked some rugby content. Yes. Let's let's kick it off yeah. with the first piece of rugby content on your list. 
So this, to me, felt like the most obvious pick and something I'm actually having more guests on they may well lean into. But England against Wales in the 2015 Rugby World Cup, which the full match is on YouTube. I think there's a couple of copies of it on YouTube, a couple of versions. So you can watch it with different commentaries, which I've done. I've just gone back and watched with Eddie Butler's commentary, with Miles Harrison's commentary. There is an ITV's commentary, but there's other ways to get hold of that. Um, and that's just an excuse to watch it 38,000 times. I don't think I've watched it back since. So inc- oh, really? Incredibly. I think I'm probably the only Welshman who hasn't watched it back since. <laughs> uh, it was... I've watched it back a lot, and it was one of... It, it's awful to say, but like, it was one of the best moments of the last decade for me out of everything, all out. I, I, I loved it. I loved every... Not every second of it. I loved the last second of it enough to make me now love when I watch back the last bit. And because still when I watch, you know, the, the moment where, and you, you probably won't remember as well, well as I do, England are pretty much on the Welsh line and the entire team, the entire back line is lying on the floor broken. You've got Dan Biggers down, Hallam Amos has just done his arm. Um, North, uh, Scott Williams is sort of already off by this point. Everyone's down, everyone's gone. And you just feel like it's completely hopeless. I remember saying to my my family who was watching us at the time, like, I would bite your arm off for a losing bonus point at this point because it felt like this is going to be just comprehensive. And yet, and yet. It's just incredible, wasn't it? I, I think, oh, I'm trying to remember where I was watching it. I was, so I was studying in university in England. Mm. And I came yeah. back to Cardiff to watch it because I wanted to be in Wales. Mm. And then I somehow I was going to be in the I was wanted to watch it in the Arms Park because he had a fan zone, right? And so I watched I watched one of the earlier games that day. I think it was Canada, Italy. That oh day. Um, no, it was Samoa, Scotland, Samoa, Samoa, South Africa. There was a Canada, Canada play that day because DTH okay. van der Merwe scored that great try where he sort of. He looked yes. back around, but I, can't, I think that was I think it was Italy. That was against Italy. That was against Italy. So yeah. that was the first game of the day. So I watched that at the Arms Park, and then I ended up watching the England Wales game at someone's mm. house in Cates or Roth, one of the student areas of Cardiff, right? Surrounded by somehow English students. <laughs> so it was it was an hour of the most miserable experience of my life, followed by twenty it. minutes of pure elation. Yeah. I was, was again speaking. I, speaking of I, Easter, it was like Jesus walking through the desert <laughs> to make oh, to make it so much, much sweeter. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that could be wrong. I may have just ruined the Bible for people. Spoilers. No, no, no. Lloyd but, Williams um, coming back to life. That's spot on. <laughs> Jesus performed many tricks, but he never did that in field kick. Just, just an incredible match, wasn't it? Oh, it's perfect. I said I was also at uni in England at the time. Um, and I'd been, so I worked for the uni on the side and I worked there again for a year after graduating. Um, and I'd been working an open day that day and I'd gone in wearing like a, cause I was giving the, I was giving a talk on the, um, the, 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 the what are they called? The, the, the talks at the beginning, the welcome talk saying like, hi, this is the University of Derby. Da, 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 this is why we're great. Um, so I had to be wearing like a proper shirt and I had my way with shirt on under it like Superman. So I could just kind of rip it off. And at random points during the day, I was looking down and just checking it because I couldn't bring. I was so anxious about the game and had it in my mind so much that I couldn't bring myself to not be wearing a whale shirt all day. Um, and I found myself then, after we finished, after the day finished and the open day finished, going to a pub with a few colleagues. And I was planning on just going back to, uh, you know, to watch it with my family, back get the train back. And I ended up going just because I was anxious about the game and I wanted to take my mind off it and I knew if I went home and if I watched the previous game I would get so nervous that I probably couldn't bear it um, so I didn't so that was the one game in that World Cup I didn't watch live was the uh, South Africa Samoa game directly beforehand What are the standout moments in that game because obviously the Gareth Davis try Yes but uh, the one that everyone loves, I think, is is Mike Brown getting a little bit feisty with um, Sam Walton. With Sam Walton, yeah, that's great. Because it's one of the few moments where Sam kind of gets angry, where you can see him kind of losing a bit of his cool. And he doesn't completely, but he's angry. You can see it on his face. Uh, so there's that. There's actually, as you say, there's the, the Den Bigger kick from halfway. And there's the try itself. There's... 
something and the moment <laughs> because you kind of have that real low not long before the Gareth Davis try of England being in the World 22 having a penalty Farrell takes the points um, and that kind of felt like oh this is it it's just going to be a procession from here it's going to be horrible and then instead it turns around so that's that's become a real high point in looking at it and knowing how low it was at the time yet we bounced back from it and the other highlight that always stands out to me is right in that last minute, England destroy the Welsh scrum, and yet Faletau somehow plucks the ball out and makes a yard, like in a way as though as though the scrum was going forward, which is just he is the best player I've ever seen at using bad ball. I think that just comes from growing up behind a dragon's pack that he's so good at it and plucking it out and not being bothered by the fact his scrum just gone five meters backwards. I was literally about to say that is the reason he's so good is he's playing for the Dragons for so long. It's yeah. just, it's being able to pick the ball up when it's sort of, it, the ball's behind you, your head is behind yeah. your legs somehow, and and your locks are four metres behind you. Yeah. And, and go forward. Yeah. Like the um, the try made for Reese Webb, I think it was maybe the previous, no, it was that year during the Six Nations. Six Nations game, yeah, um, against England. Yeah. Yeah where, again, Welsh scrum going backwards and he picks it up, manages to beat two people and put Webb in the corner. He's just, he's incredible at the thing he does. And I've never seen another number eight who's so good on bad ball. And him managing to pluck that ball out in the last minute, secure it, and then the entire Welsh back flood in. And again, I remember, because Bigger kicks it out pretty much on the dot as it hits 80, I remember jumping up and screaming and everyone sort of hugging each other and being completely jubilant and then it occurred to me he might have kicked it out early he might have done like Anton Dupont did in the Six Nations this year or Conor Murray did on the lines a few years a few years ago and kicked it out early so I sort of stopped and I was like did you, did you blow full time and we stopped had a moment of checking see everyone was celebrating and then went back to it went back to the jumping and hugging and celebrating and screaming it was it, amazing it was incredible um, it's funny you mentioned the, the Six Nations games that actually again I was at uni for that one mm. Um I'm trying to think. The next day, we, we for, for our university course, we had to go to Utoxa races to, to report on horse racing. Right. And obviously, nobody cares about uh, rugby up at the <laughs> university, Staffordshire up in Stoke-on-Trent. But yeah. the, the day after England beat Wales, suddenly everyone loves rugby. Yes. I've never been called Taffy so much. <laughs> that was the thing I found growing up as the Welsh kid in an English school. Was nobody, again, I grew up in Nottingham, so... It's not a rugby part of, town, part of the world at all. You know, it's rugby exists. People know what it is, but people don't really care. It's a football town, largely. Um, but the one day a year when people would care about rugby was the day after England had just beaten Wales because they could use it as a yard. So it could be me and Alid, the other Welsh kid at school, um, who was called Alid, so had it a bit harder. But that was the one time people cared when they could just bam it over the back of my head. It, it was it, yeah it's just not not nice is it or, or getting you know inflatable sheep for secret santa oh. but you know, that's that's original okay yeah no that is that's, that's that's really original i wonder where they came up with that one especially when one of the other guys got a, a, a christmas card from joe allen because he was at stoke at the time so and i got i got an inflatable sheep <laughs> yeah, pretty much on par despite joe, on you know par. joe allen being a personal hero man who loves chickens yeah. uh, and is bearded but um that's enough of my sort of therapy session i had something else to say about that game um oh chris robshaw of course yes. you can't you can't mention 2015 without mentioning chris robshaw yeah and um, that was the other thing about it being Weird, because when World Cups roll around, it's the one time when you really feel a little bit on the day of Six Nations games, living in kind of, as I say, non-rugby parts of England. Um, But during that World Cup, you felt it was on. It was about. And there were all of the sort of the O2 adverts they did with those cartoon Chris Robshaws. Oh, dreadful. I know. But it meant whenever I walked through town, they had them plastered up over every, like, phone shop. So you walked past, like, the four or five shops had massive cartoon Courtney Laws, Chris Robshaws, Mike Browns, etc., plastered all over them. And it became actually quite satisfying in the days afterwards to walk through and just laugh, just openly laugh as I walked past them. Yeah. Oh, 
just I mean England don't have a great track record when it comes to, to PR around World Cups obviously you know Samurais come to mind yes. last year but yeah those those yeah. adverts 2015 just mm. just I don't know just sums up Stuart Lancaster's time doesn't it? everything yeah because the four years before were, were good but there was always mm. just a, a little something lacking at every sort of turn which then yeah all built up into that World Cup so you know they 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 got close to winning Grand Slams and, and, and always came yeah. second in Six Nations. They beat the All Blacks. But there was just a, yeah. a few little minor things and it all just decided to manifest at that World Cup on home soil. Yeah. And I kind of feel for Stuart Lancaster, that's what he's remembered. Oh, it was until Leinster anyway. It certainly is an England coach. It's what he's remembered for is that World Cup. And that'll always be pissed. He'll always be judged on World Cup. And I think rightly so. But he did a really good job and he rebuilt that team um, and in some ways, he set all the groundwork for the, the Eddie Jones team in that a lot of what he was doing, he just carried right over. And a lot of the players he picked when he initially came in, and he just, Jones just moved Chris Robshaw to six, and suddenly it worked because Robshaw was actually a, a very good international player, just he was having too much pressure put on his shoulders because I, I don't think he's naturally, he doesn't want to be the figurehead in the way he was, in the way he was kind of the face of the tournament. He was the the face ITV were pushing all the time because he's kind of, you know, handsome and presentable and all that um, and reasonably well-spoken. And so he became the face of that. I don't think he wanted to be that ever. Um, and yeah, so the, I've, I've gone on a separate tangent. But the the point was, I think I did, so Lancaster did a lot of set a lot of groundwork and the things he did that didn't work kind of just allowed Eddie Jones to come in and change that. So that thing Eddie Jones has talked about a lot, he wants his team to be arrogant. He wants his team to kind of to, to play into how much everyone hates them because they will regardless. And when you looked at the Lancaster team, it had an unprecedented amount of England players I quite liked, which is uncomfortable. But that was kind of his whole angle was to make England into a cuddly team that people love and people, people are all right with. And actually, when England were the best... The 2003 team, everyone that isn't English despises. Last year's team, by and large, exactly the same. Those are the most successful England teams, the teams that people hate. Continue on that tangent. I remember um, Lancaster's first team when they played. Hmm. Was it Scotland 2012, I think? Yes. And it, yeah. it felt like such a premiership team. Like he, yeah. was, he was picking players who were playing really well in the premiership. You thought... They international quality, like I mean, Chelsea. Yeah. I remember Charlie Hodgson was at fly half, who, who was international yeah. quality, maybe not at that point. Yeah, um, but, but like the back row was like Rob Shaw. Who else? Phil Dowson was in there, I think. Uh, Phil Dowson. Phil Dowson. I always had a theory that Stuart Lancaster said to someone in a pub in you know, like a few years before that, "If I'm ever England coach, I'm picking Phil Dowson." And then when he became England coach, he suddenly had to pick Phil Dowson. Oh, well, better do it. That quite pub somewhere. It's exactly the thing I used to say, like Richard Fussell. Like, if, oh, if I was Wales coach, Richard Fussell would be in the team. Can't argue Only with that, to be fair. Can't coach. argue with that. <laughs> Cannot argue um, with Richard Fussell. Croft, Robshaw, Dowson. Yeah. Wow. With Ben Morgan on the bench, of course. Was it Moritz Bother in the second row and someone else? The second Moritz row again Both. was... Quite and Tom Palmer, Tom Palmer, with his floppy hair, yeah, who was sort of this inversion of he had the hair of like a rejected opera singer, and then wore a scrum cap and was generally quite a hard-working lock. Gee, just yeah, I found, and yeah, I thought opening Six Nations they weren't. That, I mean, they they were really gritty, like the yeah Charlie Hodgson charged down to to beat Scotland at Murrayfield. Yes, Charlie yeah. charged down. Uh, I think he had a charge down in the next game. I can't remember who they played. Yeah. Was it three games? In the, I think it was three games out of the five he scored a charge down try. Because I remember making the joke that England's, England's best attacking structure is a blitz defence off 10. Yeah. And then even even against us, they, they pushed us close that day. Really yeah. close. And I remember thinking going into that game in 2012 that, oh, we should push up this easily. This is, we look far better than they do. And actually... It was a far better England team than I was giving credit for yeah. that morning. And actually, you know, it was... I do think, on balance, Wales probably were the better team. But England were playing well, and they probably... It wouldn't have been an unfair result if they did draw at the end, if Strato did ground it. No, indeed. 
so I guess we, we've gone on many tangents here, but I suppose the final yes. point about um, England-Wales 2015, mm. it's on YouTube. You mm. yourself are a YouTuber. Um, yes. And I think it's fair to say a pundit now. I think we can use so, those words. Which It's something adjacent to punditry. Yeah, that's fair enough. Don't even be tired by that brush. Um, which, <laughs> which commentary, you said there's many commentaries on mm. YouTube. Which, which, which would you say is the best? Because I can't, I can't even remember the ITV one. Oh, um, I, I mean, Eddie Butler's is a classic because he is Eddie Butler's voice and it's Eddie Butler kind of in full Eddie Butler flow. Um, I like Miles Harrison a lot as a commentator and I think actually his commentary may be the one I prefer. Um, other than he has a weird moment where after Bigger kicks that penalty to put Wales ahead with a few minutes to go, he screams, we are so weak. What is Warren Ball? I think we have the definition, which doesn't make any sense. But other than that, I, I like the, I like the Miles Harrison one and I did like the, I still sometimes think about it and get slightly misty eyed. Um, Nick Mullins' final line on the ITV one when Bigger kicks it out he shouts bloodied bruised but they never know when they're beaten and that was good that was good I liked that um, I think maybe I just enjoy hearing an English commentator try and sound excited by it I think maybe that's you either hear their professionalism or them really struggling and I quite enjoy that they are in general quite good, considering Welsh commentators oh, yeah. on the most part. It takes all it takes is like one overlap, and suddenly like Jonathan Davis is oh, excited. He's, he's, you know, yes. he's not hiding it. No. So, so in fairness, um, they're, they're normally quite good. Yeah, it's it. It can be up and down, can't it? Because I think just there's so much competition for places in that in English rugby commentary, you know, and having spoken to Nick Heath a couple of weeks ago, the, the now massive mega superstar New York Times that suddenly becomes many, a massive name drop. How many Nick followers has he, has he got off the back of that? Oh, like 120,000. It's genuinely insane. He's he's become pretty much the, the biggest person in rugby media just through those, those little clips. Um, and yeah, I sort of had a brief conversation with him just after it happened, just after the New York Times thing. And he was just saying he couldn't get his head around it at all. He couldn't get his head around any of what's happened. Um, but yeah, no, he was just, I, I spoke to him about how how competitive it is climbing that ladder um, and how hard you've got to work and for how long in order to get anywhere in it. Uh, and I'm sure it's the same way, I was honest, but I just, uh, I've spoken to someone who's been through the English system and got to, not to the point Nick Mullins and uh, Miles Harrison are, but, reasonably close to the top and I suppose now he's no, he's, he's outranking everyone bigger, so no, he's media. bigger than everyone yeah, he? He, he, he's, yeah. and he, he's found himself a new niche you know he, he's he bigger than he, the game he's he doesn't need local. rugby to come back and that's exactly. that's the key for him exactly he is he is Lomore Wilkinson he is the third big rugby superstar as long as supermarkets stay open Nick Heath has got a job <laughs> yeah <laughs> which exactly. in fairness to him sounds like less of a compliment than it actually is <laughs> he's very much found his niche hasn't he as yeah. long as people can walk past betting shops and kind of glance at them he's got something to do that is that is some career to have I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast I think we've put England Wales uh, to, to bed now. What's the second <laughs> piece of rugby content then on your list? Uh, so I went for another game, uh, and in particular, because this game was uploaded in 2011, 2012, when, remember back when YouTube wouldn't let you have videos longer than 15 minutes? Oh, so, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, the game is on YouTube in 15 minute chunks, which really conveniently means you can watch the really good 15 minutes of it and then not have to stay on and watch the rest. Um, so it's the game from the 2011 World Cup between Fiji and Namibia, which is one of my favourite games I've ever watched as a neutral. I love it. Now, maybe I was just too focused on Wales at this point, but I genuinely don't remember anything about this game. Mm. 
I remember it was the second day of the World Cup. They'd been the opening game beforehand, um, and I got up that morning to watch. Uh, Scotland played Romania that morning and then this game was on straight afterwards uh, so it was on like 6 in the morning in the UK or something uh, and I was in thick form at the time and I got up to watch it in the morning on Saturday and was I think sort of buzzing by the excitement of just doing that and just it being the first World Cup where I've been committed to watching every game and I felt like I could do that um, and so really early on about a minute and a half into the game, Tinas Kotsa, the Namibia fly half, nails a penalty from well inside his own half, like 55 metres. Um, and then, almost immediately, Fiji go downfield and score a try. Uh, and then Namibia get back into Fiji's half, and Kotsa drops the goal. And it becomes this amazing back and forth of Fiji will go downfield and score this beautiful, wonderful try. And they've got kind of... They've got this this unknown second row called Leone Nakarawa throwing mad passes all the time to an unknown winger called Veroniki Gonover, who scores four tries. Um, <clears throat> and it kind of alternates between Fiji scoring an incredible mental try to then Namibia go downfield and they just drop a goal. And so Cox has scored three drop goals in the first 15 minutes, plus kicked a penalty from his own half. And it was that kind of thing. It was this just really glorious clash of styles. It was two com- two teams with completely opposing mentalities on how to play the game, just really throwing everything at each other. It was it was the best example of that of two teams playing the game completely differently. And why rugby is great because you can approach it in so many different ways, in so many different ways more than I find most other team sports. Um, and you're, t- you're trying to do it, go about it completely differently. And by the end of the game, Fiji, because seven points are worth more than three pointers, um, Namibia started throwing the ball around for the last kind of quarter. But those 15 minutes down as part two on on YouTube um, are glorious to watch, just because they're so much fun seeing Namibia get down there and just drop. You know, they get a line out and they're off second phase, immediately crush it at once, bam, drop goal. And it's I just like the idea of like the Namibian coach just going, listen, lads, just anytime you get in their half, drop a goal. They're not going to score every time they get the ball. So if we, yeah. if we keep them out, keep, keep stop them scoring a couple of tries. We just keep dropping goals <laughs> just as the match goes on. Okay, Fiji keeps scoring tries. Yeah, exactly. And that was, that was pretty much it. It kind of went from... Um, and after a while, you do sense they start looking a bit before dropping on, before thinking about it. Um, but there's a great point when he's like 45 yards out and he just really effortlessly just goes, well, okay, I'll take the three points there. And it's great. I wish more teams did it. I wish there were more teams that just went, I'm just going to take the points. I'm just going to take it. I love drop goals. Maybe I'm, it's not the most widely celebrated form of scoring, but I love them. There's something of a World Cup phenomenon. They, they, they don't, they're not around for like four years, and then suddenly in the World Cups, everyone's there like, I think it's time for a drop goal. Yeah, exactly. I was so excited about biggest drop goal in the first minute against Australia. I loved that. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I mean. You know, like, I can't remember the last time bigger dropped a goal for Wales. Oh, mine would um, say uh, England 2013. 2013. He, I'm sure he he dropped one on half time against South Africa in the quarterfinal in 2015. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. That was it. That was that was the last time he dropped a goal. I remember looking this up. That was the only. That was the that game was the last time before that World Cup in which Wales scored a try of counter attack and they dropped the goal. I believe. Oh no, no, the last drop goal Wales scored was the Sam Davis one. That was the only drop goal we scored. Sam Davis against Japan in the last minute um, was 2016 was the only drop goal we scored in that kind of World Cup cycle leading into Australia. Yeah, well, I remember, I remember the drop goal he scored against... He scored, he scored against, against England 2013. Yeah. Which I think could have been the only drop goal in the, in the entire Six Nations. And yeah, in a World Cup, you know, yeah. 2015, there was loads. Obviously, Carter had a few, didn't he, towards the end? Yeah. Um, 2019, there was a load of drop goals. It just It just seems to be something that Guess to World Cup and everyone's there like, you know what? Dro- drop goals. They're, they're, they're a way of getting points on the board. Yeah. And I think if ever someone properly drew up a money ball type approach to rugby, it would involve loads of drop goals. If ever someone just worked out what is the most economic means of winning a match we can find, it would be signing like Ian Keatley or Stephen Myler and just dropping goals all the time. I'd pay to watch that. I would. I would. Just, yeah, th- you know, 
30 odd points to drop goals in a match oh, it'd be glorious wouldn't it everyone back and forth it can become like basketball just constant drop goals back and forth from one end to the other I love it I've always said there's no better way to end the game than the last one to drop goal oh absolutely just although this, you mentioned the Sam Davis one and that was mm. probably the most disappointing drop goal ever I, I've witnessed in person <laughs> just because I don't know I was upset that people were happy that we'd beaten Japan so closely yeah I, I look no, at it I in, in hindsight you know, considering where exactly. Japan are, pro- probably an overreaction, but just they're like, we were so poor. I was kind of elated when it went over and then had that realisation the moment everyone had jogged back into their own half of, wait a minute, no, this is, this is Japan. This is a, a tier two. And as you say, they're, they're a different prospect now, but I don't think they quite were then. Um, I think they prepared they really well for that they, yeah. World Cup. Yeah, for the 2015 World Cup and then again for the 2019 World Cup. But I don't think they've yet raised their game in that way. Um, and they, they scored some really nice tries and they were still they were attacking really nicely in the way that transitioned. Like the Kenki Fukuoka try in the corner was amazing. But oh, yeah, 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 I completely yeah. know what you're saying. I also think it was just a frustrating because that was the day I was yeah. expecting Keelan Giles to make his international debut. Yes! Yeah. And yet, I think it was yeah, Rob Howley was in charge. And he just mm. didn't bring him off the bench. And obviously, don't want don't to lay, you don't want to lay into Alex Cuthbert, but Alex Cuthbert just had a dreadful day. Yeah. To the point where he was trying too hard to sort of fix it. And I remember he knocked it on over the line. It's just one of them days you think, yeah, probably just no, best for it. Just, just best for him just to take him off. Bring Keeper Charles on. It's the thing Gatland used to do of trying to play a pair of Play a pe- play a player back into confidence, like he did it with Pat uh, Priestland. Yeah, he did it with Cuthbert. Uh, he tried Dan Lydia as well. There are a few players who weren't playing well, and he just kept them in the team to try and regrow really the confidence. And I get it, and I appreciate it. But as you say, I I would the fact that Keelan Joe still hasn't made his debut, oh, and he had there was that weird. I don't know if you you can say or know what happened um, when he went on that summer tour. And Rob McBride said he wasn't allowed to pick him. He said, oh, there's something else that is, when asked why Giles hadn't played. Was did, that, did anyone... Was that Tonga and Samoa? Yeah. I can't remember. Did he have concussion or... or Ash, you had concussion. I don't know. Because I remember someone asked him, why didn't Giles play? And McBride just kind of went, oh, well, I can't tell you that. I thought you could have just said, yeah, he wasn't fit or we didn't want to pick him. We wanted back player X. But he said, I can't tell you why. And we'll probably never know because it's not a big enough mystery to, yeah. to warrant, you know, but a Netflix documentary. But there probably will be soon. Was, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> They're running out of other topics I mean, to do. Lockdown, Netflix. Yeah. They'll just play through exactly. everything. The Keelan Giles yeah. files. Yeah. The Osprey King. Oh, I still haven't seen The Tiger King yet, which no, I assume is about Tom Vandell. <laughs> that's a great choice of random lesser player Aula or, <laughs> um, or Toby Flood oh uh, nice nice segue thank you thank you um, so your third clip the, is yeah I adore the clip of Toby Flood running into the post I think it's one of the greatest pieces of slapstick comedy committed to film since Buster Keaton died Remind me what game that was, because I'm my memory's going a bit. That was uh, so it was Ospreys against Lesser Tigers, um, and it was I think it was the last or penultimate round of the Heineken Cup that year, um, and it was kind of set up so basically the winner goes through, and in the end it was a draw. Uh, Eli Walker scored a great try. No, he, sorry, Jonathan Spratt finished it. Eli Walker made a great try for Jonathan Spratt, um, and Joe Beeman scored for the Ospreys as well. Uh, oh, and it was a there's a it, name. Yeah, remember Joe Beerman? I, I have a memory of Joe Beerman mm. catching a ball in the backfield to the Dragons against the Scarlets, the Parker Scarlets, and, yeah. and turning sideways. Mm. It might be when he was at the Ospreys, actually, but I think it was the Dragons, and, and trying to sort of kick pass across the field and just kicking it backwards. Yes, I do remember that. Thank God you remember it, because I thought it, I was having yeah. a sort of Nelson Mandela effect moment where I just imagined it. So I was trying <laughs> to find it the other day. 
trying to find like Dragons games from oh. around that time, but I, I have a memory of Joe Beerman kicking it backwards. I remember Joe Beerman kicking it backwards, yeah. I also remember Andy Powell going for a drop goal in a game in the Cardiff City Stadium, and there's no proof it ever happened, but I'm sure I saw it. I remember Andy Powell trying a long-range drop goal attempt. I don't remember that. I remember Sam Norton, Knight, and Dan Parks oh, yeah. messing up their fair share of drop goals in that stadium. <laughs> Yeah, don't remember Andy Powell doing one. That'd be. I have to look yeah, for that. I, but again, it's just it's one of these things that doesn't really exist because there isn't like in the way the Premier League has comprehensive. Someone has been through every second of what's happened over the last thirty years. That hasn't happened for the Pro Four team. There's a lot of it just kind of exists in the background. If rugby jumped in, grab it at the time. A lot of it's almost gone. Yep. Oh, there's even. I mean, it must be frustrating, and well, probably, probably not frustrating in your line because you're tending to sort of do modern matches. But the amount of times I try, like, find clips of like international tries now from 15 years ago, like Morgan yeah. Stoddard's debut for Wales. I just did a piece of them the other day, so I thought oh, yeah. I'll try find. You know, he made his debut against South Africa 2007. That game after the World Cup. Yes, can't find it anywhere. Mm. It's it's amazing, it's- like how much just rugby is just lost. I know it's bizarre, isn't it? To say, especially test rugby, you think it'll be there; it'd be quite easy to find. But a lot of it isn't. Like, I I sort of get why people aren't archiving the Blues against Glasgow, which, you know, as a mid-table clash from 2010 or whatever. But it is frustrating when you can't go back and watch old games from in the last 10 years. There's a lot of them aren't aren't yeah. out there, or there's no record. There's no highlights of a lot of games from the last few years. I, c- um, I couldn't find I- all of Mark Jones's tries on YouTube, and that disappointed me. All of his, uh, all of his international tries. The one, the clip of him almost going against France is there. Oh yeah, that is. But, they they played that in assembly for us in in high school twice. Because yeah. <laughs> he's, he's from he's, really? he's he's a local lad, and so the day after right. the Grand Slam, they're like, Mark Jones did that on the weekend. They played it twice. And we're like, yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> it was awesome. He almost scored the greatest try oh, of all time. So that clip still kills me. That he didn't I know. Because oh, I kind of, I, I weirdly, I don't remember that happening live. But I do. I remember watching the game live. But I don't. I remember them watching that back, like a couple of months later, on the DVD back before Sky Pluses, when they used to release proper DVDs, which I still got. Um, and watching it back and sort of being or almost expecting him to finish it a second time round, even though I knew the final score and I'd seen the highlights again. Yeah, I, I, I keep know. thinking he's gonna he's gonna get it. It's yeah, it's just and Mark Jones sits in that category of great players who I worry people aren't going to talk about, who are going to be kind of forgotten because he was a really good winger, really good finisher, and he came yeah. back from two knee injuries, which people forget. Yeah, he played in the two thousand three yeah. World Cup. I don't think he played for Wales again until 2006, Six Nations. Right, yeah. He had two serious knee injuries. Mm. I mean, what was his, his record? I mean, his record was like 13 tries in 47 caps, which yeah, isn't too dissimilar from Alex Cuthbert. No, no. And the Cuthbert's was pretty much all the way through his career until he had that massive dip. It was pretty much a try every other game. Yeah. Um, but I suppose Cuthbert had two really memorable tries against England, which means he will always be talked about. He will always be there. I'd say Cuthbert had lower lows, but he had higher highs, which I think people will, as, as a result, people remember you more fondly. If you've if you've yeah. had bigger highs, even if you've had lower lows, it, yeah. just, it just feels more than sort of a, a consistent career like Mark Jones had. Yeah. No, absolutely. And Cuthbert went on a Lions tour, I suppose. He did. And, you know, which helped. And I, I rated Cuthbert. I, I always was a big fan of him. And I don't mean this is like an anti Cuthbert thing. It's just it's a shame that there will always be players like Mark Jones who slip down the back of the sofa who aren't talked about despite being really good players. And again, yeah. I was thinking about the other day, Sonny Parker. He sort of now remembered as London Welsh legend rather than really solid Ospreys and Wales player. Like, he was actually quite a useful player during that Grand Slam in 2008. Really, yeah, really good player. Um, mm. Maybe one of the things that counts against him is the fact that Gatlin started him in that first game. And yeah. then and then immediately sort of hooked him off at half-time and Shanklin started the rest of the games. Yeah. 
maybe that's the sort of thing that, you know, cause it was a shock at the time that he'd gone for Sonny Parker over Shanklin. And then I think Gatlin realised after 40 minutes, oh, I should have started Shanklin. So that probably yeah. didn't help Sonny Parker, but he was, he was a great player. Um, he was. Andrew Bishop, just on the Osprey midfield. I could oh. do this all day. I could do this talking about underrated Welsh players from the, you know, the last 15 years. Um, but yeah, I was a big fan of Andrew Bishop at the time. Yeah. He, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've spoken to a few sort of ex Ospreys players recently about it, like mm. Theo Tiatia, Lee Byrne, yeah. James Hook. They all say Andrew Andrew Bishop, the clamp, was just mm. the glue of that midfield. He, he was the player you needed yeah. to win trophies. And he would fit so well into modern rugby. He would fit so well into what he's become now in how. And what a, a modern 12 is kind of a guy you rely on to not make bad decisions. It's the thing that Hadley Parks does. It's the thing that Ryan Crotty does. It's the thing that, like, for some reason, the next example that comes to mind is Andres Villaseca of Uruguay. But um, that's just where my brain goes. Naturally the third choice. But, of course. Um, but he would fit so calmly into that, whereas instead he was playing in an era where your 12 was either Jamie Roberts or Wesley Fafana. You know, it was like, it was either a really flashy guy or it was, it was someone huge who you boshed it up with. Or it was Marnoni who was both. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Toby Flood. Yes, yeah, sorry, I haven't <laughs> mentioned Toby Flood. In my, I've, we've just done like fifteen minutes, and I haven't mentioned Toby Flood. Yeah, it's, um, see it Leicester on the Osprey try line. Uh, it's a big game, and Toby Flood runs in. I think trying to enter a ruck or something. And I don't know what, I don't watch the, no, um, a kick has gone to the far and it's going for a drop out and Flood's chasing it. <laughs> and he's just watching the ball and he doesn't notice and he runs right into the post, just collides full on and his body crumples in like a rag doll way. Like his sort of shoulder bends backwards and he falls down to his knees and he kind of rolls round and he, you know, he grabs and he hurt his shoulder, which is a shame. Um, which you know obviously isn't to be celebrated. Every other part of it is because he falls in such a poetic. As I say, it's it's a great, genuinely great piece of slapstick comedy of just seeing someone crumple and fold as they fall. That it's 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 almost moving. It's almost moving to watch Toby Flood crumple. And also, he was the incumbent England ten at the time, which makes it even funnier that he ran into the post. There is something where players run into posts. Obviously, we talked about England-Wales 2015. In the mm. Six Nations, um, James yes. Haskell, of course, ran into the post. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure most Welsh people enjoyed. Yeah. James Haskell. It was, and great because he had the ball as well. It wasn't... Toby Flood was chasing a kick, whereas Haskell had the ball and still ran into the post. Yeah, his, his prerogative there was to avoid the post... Yeah, Toby Flood, you can sort of forgive, you know. Yeah, he's got his eye on the ball. Haskell's not really got anything else to focus on other than just don't run into the the post. <laughs> I enjoyed. I think it was Marius van der Westays and the touch judge who ran into the post um, after putting his flag up to say a kick had gone through a couple of years ago. That was fun. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> touch, touch judges are always great when they they just get interacted with. Yeah, a tackle or a ball hits them. That's especially at lower levels. Especially when you've got the kind of, you know, like at low enough levels where the touch judge is a coach or a player from one of the two teams. Oh yeah, the classic. Yep. Yeah. No, no offside line. <laughs> exactly. I remember I played in a cup. Like it was the last game I played of kind of junior rugby before going to uni and stopping playing. Um, I played in a cup final and I just got used to whenever I was, I was playing on the wing at the time. Um, I, fullback was my preference, but I was playing on the wing um, because I won't go play with the fullback. Um, and I just got used to being offside from every single kick because the referee wasn't looking and the touch judges didn't care. And in this final, they brought in touch judges to actually referee it and I got penalised twice. And it was just, it was like breaking that habit because I just got used to, you know, it's not cheating to get away with it. I was the Richie McCaw of East Midlands under-16's wing play. That's some title. I'm surprised that's not on <laughs> <Absolutely>. YouTube. <laughs> Bio right now. 
That's what I should have gone by. Yeah, I I cheated where I could. I still remember that game. We we won every game in the um in the, the <laughs> we'd won every game in the league season. They got to the final um, and lost it. Uh, we were behind. It was the one game we hadn't kind of won comfortably. Uh, I remember that season best because I played basically every game on the wing, and the the thirteen I was playing outside scored more tries than I had touches. Yep. <laughs> Which having, is a classic wing. Having, having played on the wing, that is that sums up my yeah. experiences. Um, yeah. Getting next to no touches in attack. Yeah. And getting all the blame in defence because. Yeah. Everyone just has a has a habit to sort of step in. So you know, eight forwards commit to one ruck. The scrum half, yeah. the scrum half, and the fly half then decide yeah. to be guards. Centers yeah. move in, and then suddenly you've got a three on one, and it's like. Oh, come on, Ben! Like you gotta make your tackles. Like who tackle who? Yeah, and that was kind of my. So I learned very quickly. I'll just go for an intercept every time uh, because sometimes you get lucky. That's good. And and you know, in which case you've done brilliant work. And even if you miss it, it missing an intercept looks better than a missed tackle. Yeah. So you know, give it a go. Uh, which I would hate if I was a coach, but I. That final, actually, we were four points down on our own try line with like two minutes to go, and I took an interception, and I got up into their half, and I remember kind of, I remember getting into our half, turning and seeing their the winger from the other side was tracking across. He was the sort of person you can look at and go, oh, he's quick. You can just glance at it. Um, and so I instinctively slowed down to look for support when there was no support around. And I still sometimes think about it. If I'd just gone for the corner or I just tried to do something, maybe I put a kick in or something, I don't know. And maybe maybe it would have gone differently. But instead, I slowed down to look for support. There was no support around, got tackled. It was daft of me. So basically, Alan Wynne Jones against New Zealand 2010. Yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That I was in many ways both Alan Wynne Jones and Richie McCaw, but also a crap winger. I mean, it's the best sort of player. Um, yeah. As many people would uh, back me up on that. Okay, I think that's Toby Flood. Then what? what's the uh, the fourth clip? Um, so this is something that I just... I, th- I showed you for the first time this morning that I love and is not widely seen enough. It's a clip from an S4C children's show um, in which a monkey called Gareth interviews Reese Patchell in the Millennium Stadium or the, the Principality Stadium as he corrects him to and it's very funny a few questions one hmm. how, <laughs> how did you find this what is your I, search history like to find this what, like what, what, what ha, YouTube's algorithms what, what are you looking at when this comes up in the recommended section I, I've googled Monkey interviews every single player from that World Cup. You you wouldn't believe there's no interview of a monkey inter- interviewing Makazoli Mapimpi. It just doesn't happen. Um, no, I I think I came across it when I was looking up clips of Reece Patchell for a video. I was trying kind of trying to find like a clip of him. I think as I talked about him playing the guitar or something, and I wanted a clip of him playing the guitar, and that came up, and I was like, what what's what's that? And I watched it, and it was at the time, there was like 400 views on it. Like, no one had seen it. And I was so instantly taken with it, because it is very funny. Um, and not just in a novelty way, because it's a rugby player being interviewed yeah. by a puppet. It's actually... There's, the, genuine, the there's genuine punchlines in there, isn't there? Yeah. There's, as you were saying, that the lie... Actually, no, I almost don't want to spoil the best lines. It's worth looking up. Just t- It's... Gareth Arrys Patchell is the video title. Um, I mean, we'll we'll put links out to all of these on our Twitter. Okay. And I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know what the views are at the minute on that, but with a squid, um, it's like it's like when Oprah recommends a book, isn't it? I think Squid recommending <laughs> a YouTube video is going to be yeah, a YouTube video. Yeah, I I am Oprah, Richie McCall, and Alan Wynne Jones. I'll take that. I'll take that combo. How could you not? I'm like an an incredibly underwhelming combination of them. Um, and yeah, Gareth, the, the monkey interviewing Reese Patchell. And as I began to say at the beginning, before we start recording, there's some, it, 
the video finishes with Patchell kicking and passing with the, the puppet, with the monkey, kind of chucking him around. And by that point in the video, I'd built up such a level of empathy for him. I'd come to, in the way when you watch the Muppets, you forget that Kermit isn't a real person. And I know I've seen interviews for like Ricky Gervais and Tina Fey and so on who've done movies with the Muppets and done bits with them. And how weird they find it to just see, like, at the end of the day, Kermit the Frog lying their life because they used to be a person and they used to puppeteer staying in character with him all day. And there was something about seeing him suddenly lifeless that I was kind of like, oh, don't do that to Gareth. Poor Gareth. What's he done? He's a real, real comedic genius of a monkey. Reese Patchell's a monster, effectively, is what you're saying there. (laughs) Absolutely. Harming helpless. But he's also very funny in it, and he's also one of the few players who could have done that. There's a lot of players who kind of would have been baffled, or the punchline would have just been about being interviewed by a puppet. But Patrick kind of gives as good as he takes, and has some comebacks, and is funny in it as well. Uh, Patrick is both a monster, and also exactly the guy you need doing that. Indeed. He also claims to be able to eat 15 Weetabix. (laughs) Yes, he does. Some boast. It really is, isn't it? Someone should hold him to account for that. Oh, I I actually, I had it when, it was the, the day we met. Um, well, I interviewed him at oh, the, of Pro course, yeah, the Pro 14 launch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I I had it in the back of my head as, do I bring it up? Uh, actually, him and Brad Moore were lovely, and that was kind of the, the most enjoyable interview of the lot. And I asked him a really stupid question already. And he kind of, you know, he was he was very good-willed about it. He was he was entirely charming and decent. Um, I kind of had a moment of like, that's a stupid question, but I'm going to give you a decent answer to it, which was appreciated. Um, and so I kind of felt like I now can't bring up the clip of him being interviewed by a monkey, but I wanted to. And someday I want, I want to hold him to account for thinking he can eat 15 Weetabix in one setting with milk. Was that, you, you were the Under, Under the Sticks podcast that day, weren't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. So there you go, that's... That's the one thing the Welsh Rugby Podcast has got over the Under the Sticks podcast is that we actually, we, we mentioned the big topics on the podcast, like Gareth and Reese Patchell. Absolutely. You know, nothing against Andrew McGeady or, or Adam Redmond or Paul, but, you know, we're willing to sort of broach the big topics that they, they shy away from. Yeah, absolutely. I did, the one other thing I did that day was I pitched to Dean Ryan. I somehow found myself pitching a move where they set up a caterpillar ruck like, you know, 15 players back, um, make it as far back as that Exeter one that was kind of went viral a month or two ago. Uh, probably longer over that. I've lost track of all since time. And then the scrum off just drops a goal from there. And Dean Ryan laughed and then said, I'm not going to do that. And like, Who is this guy? Why has he come here? Why is he now pitching me moves to run? I'm a professional. I've been doing this for years. He has got, he's got a lovely sort of straight back dry humour. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, he's great. I liked him a lot. Well, well, Roger Williams is there. Did you did you tell it to Roger Williams? Because at the end of the day, he scrum half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of shook his head slightly nervously. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yes, dragons are missing out. They don't. I suppose they have got Sam could... Davis to drop goals, who's doing a pretty good exactly. job. <laughs> yeah, so... he is. <laughs> Just in case, maybe you put Sam Davis in a nine. Maybe that's it. This is the final piece of the puzzle we needed. This is, I'm going to start that Moneyball team we were talking about earlier. I'm going to sign Ian Keatley. I'm going to start from the back of Rucks, dropping goals, and we're going to be unbeatable. Oh, I mean, you wouldn't bet against it. No. I, I can see that team winning the, the Pro 14. Oh, absolutely. I don't care who it is otherwise. I can get in any, you know, bog standard players in any other position, but... The one important one is signing Ian Keatley, maybe Stephen Myler. Yeah. I think break the bank for them too, and then, you know, just the rest, just placeholders. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe sign both of them. Have a 10 12 who can kick drop goals. Nothing else matters. It's entirely built on drop goals. That's my entire team's tactics. The, the moment I do it against the Dragons, Dean Ryan will know what he was missing. Yeah. Speaking, speaking, yeah, 10, 12 combos you can drop goals. I, mean, I was watching highlights of, again, this is more random YouTube mm. down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I was watching highlights of Wales, Italy, 2009, the other day. Because, okay. again, actually, yeah, Stoddard, yeah. No, no, sorry, 2011, Stadio Flaminio, because Stoddard yeah. scored. I remember there was yes. a way, Hooky scored a drop goal late on. 
And yeah. for some reason, Jif's there. Like, Stephen Jones and Hook are both back in the pocket. Stephen mm. Jones to the right, Hook to the left. And Jiffy's just there going, it's got to go to Hook. Got to go to Hook. And to this day, I still don't know why. Yeah. That's interesting. I remember the drop goal. I was gutted because I... Jiffy, Jiffy clearly has a reason. I imagine it's something to do with, you know, Hookie's... Hookie's kicking it across his across his body, sort of towards the post. Yeah. Stephen Jones is probably, you know, kicking it further across his body, back back into the post, and how the defense yeah. will rush up. But just Jiffy never really gets out the reason, so it's just it just sounds like he's just going, it's got to go to Hook, it's got to go to Hook, and then it just there's there's no reason why. So it just sounds like favoritism. But I, I'm uh, knowing Jiff, I'd, I'd imagine <laughs> there is some brilliant yeah. technical reason, but you never hear it. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I'd kind of forgotten about that um, because it felt interesting at the time that it went to Hook rather than Stephen Jones. But and it probably is that. That's, that's when I think about it, that's exactly what it was. It'll be, and also Hook's kicking distance was probably bigger because it wasn't an easy shot, as I recall. It was a good no. thirty, forty yards out. Um, I always think with with that, I, yeah. I mean, Steve Stephen Jones was fairly deep, but I'd always keep the ten quite flat. Yeah. Give the impression that you're going to play. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got both set up, if you can. Um, a bit like the, I remember the year before last now, the when the Springboks beat the All Blacks uh, in Dunedin. And the whole time Justin Marshall was calling that David McKenzie's in the pocket for the drop goal and Barrett's flat to look like he's going to attack. And he isn't, you know, it's a strike play that Barrett's, that McKenzie's going to drift around late. But it sort of looks like it. And if you're a South African defender, it kind of then looks like they're setting for a drop goal, even though you knew they had no idea what to do with a drop goal, and they clearly didn't know how to go about it, which ultimately lost them that game. And the panic caused by them not knowing how to go for a drop goal, I think, was a big factor in them losing the World Cup. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's a... I don't know. I I like the thought of having them. Maybe I sign Stephen Jones and James Hook now, yep. and I get them both out of retirement to come and join my team so they can stand on my beside the ruck and take turns. Stephen Jones is also um, behind one of the most lackadaisical fake drop goals I've ever seen. Do you remember the when the Scarlets beat Toulouse away? Yes. Yeah. And Regan King drifts through for a try to set up Gavin oh, Thomas. Yeah. They the way that try is set up is Stephen Jones drops into the pocket. Yeah. Toulouse don't blitz, so Stephen Jones just turns around, gives a pass to Regan King. It's like yeah. Sevens rugby and how he just sort of stands there for a bit and goes, yeah. going to attack the blind side now. And then just drifts through and sets up Gavin Thomas. It's it, it's just a try. It's, it's only 13 years ago, and yet you would never see that try score today because no. defence coaches would just go nuclear. It's amazing to look back on even just the 2011 World Cup and even actually when they did the live stream of um, the 33 game from 2013. Yeah how different rugby is and how actually defensive would small for basically every single move any team ran in those games um and there was i'd watched the opening game of the 2011 world cup back the other day um and there's a few moves that new zealand ran i was really surprised because they would work nowadays they might work now against an okay defense but on the whole defense have come on so quickly and actually, when you look at attacks, have and every single team runs moves that are so much infinitely more complicated than the most complicated move you'd have seen. Not even ten years ago, even just you know six, seven years ago, anything pre twenty fifteen is kind of now. It feels really dated if you watch it. If you watch anything other than the highlights. Oh yeah, no, it does. It's 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 incredible, sort of how quickly rugby's changed. Hmm. So, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to continue to as well. Yeah, yeah, in, indeed it will. That, that's you, mate, you're going to, have to be making videos about this about how yeah, rugby's going to change. Know. Put your neck on the line. <laughs> yeah, just, there's an idea in that. Someone should start a YouTube channel on that. That's a great idea. A YouTube channel about rugby. Would oh, it, would it'll it never work? take off. Nah, probably not. It'll never take off. So I think are those those are your four clips. Those are the four picks. Yeah. Brilliant. I think that is going to keep people entertained during lockdown for a while um, I, so. I mean I don't really know how Desert Island Discs work so I don't know if there's any other questions that he asks do I take a luxury in, item in the um, in the 60 years it's been going I can't say I've ever listened yeah. to it but yeah. I, just, I, just, I just knew the name I didn't really know 
the, the the actual format of it. So can steal what you've never seen is is my defense. <laughs> Absolutely. I think he asks about the Bible or something, which we we talked about. We talked about the Bible in this podcast, so I think we ticked everything yeah. off off yeah, the, uh, the desert Alan island. That's yeah. the same as the same as religion. Indeed, it is. Uh, I think we ticked everything off the desert island discs. I think we pretty even got, much, yeah. probably even got a name for it: the isolation care package. Yeah, yeah. I think that's gone well. I think that's been a good hour, or whatever it is, put in. Indeed, I think as as first podcast series go, this one's gone pretty well. Excellent. Okay. There we go. As always, it's a pleasure having you on. Likewise. Thank you for having me.